This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! Welcome to a Men in Blazers pod special. An interview with a remarkable man. A gent who arrived in the United States with just $500 in his pocket and proceeded to become a billionaire in the ruthless automotive parts industry, falling in love with America and American sports in the process. He celebrated by doing just about the craziest thing any sports fan can do, which is to buy a team. This gent, he bought the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars! Then the worst team in the NFL, and he became the league's first non-white owner in the process, which was no small achievement. But he didn't stop there. He bought into football and the Premier League by taking over the single British team with the richest American genealogy. Yep, Fulham Football Club. He quickly learned English football. It's different. (laughs) It's more anarchical than the American sports world. And he learned that the hard way. You eat what you kill in the Premier League, my guest told me about that first season in which his team were relegated. Thankfully, he's a resilient, entrepreneurial, quick learner. And by employing a maverick Serbian manager, Slavisha Jokanovic, and fielding a young, ambitious, freewheeling team, what style they play with, typified probably by the nimble feet of their young English prodigy, Ryan Sessegnon, they played their way back into the Premier League. And the story of how he did it, I found it inspirational. I really did. I learned so much about both life and sports from this conversation. At the very least, I bet you it's impossible to listen to this without just wanting to stop what you are doing as you listen to it and just go, just go and watch a game in person at that tiny throwback jewel box by the River Thames that is Craven Cottage. So here he is, my guest. Mr. Shad Khan. Shad Khan, you're a remarkable American story. You were born in Lahore, Pakistan. You arrived here when you were 16. With how much in your pocket? About 500 bucks. Richest guy on the planet, yeah. (laughs) I'd never held experience that kind of dough before. You scrubbed dishes upon your arrival. You were in Champagne studying engineering at the University of Illinois, you entered the automotive manufacturing business. You had a design, an innovative design, a one-piece steel bump-up. Somehow it became industry standard. What was the secret of your success? Looking for a solution to differentiate yourself. The competitors have all the advantages, the relationships, the money, the equipment. I have nothing. You've got to come up with an approach to upset the status quo. You found a better solution and then some. In 2011, Forbes wrote about you that Pakistan-born Shahid Khan built a $3.4 billion manufacturing juggernaut from the ruins of an Illinois auto parts maker. And then it said to celebrate, he just bought one of the worst teams in the NFL. (laughs) Yep. The Jacksonville Jaguars. (laughs) What made you do that? Passion for football. For me, once I got to the U.S., I was American first. I wanted to absolutely embrace the values and integrate myself. 
when I gravitated to American football. Well, the first game I saw was in the basement of a fraternity house at Chicago Bears. There's passion for sports as a fan, but being an owner can be an incredibly unforgiving role. What made you decide, I'm gonna step in and take that on? The sport itself, I'd love to be a part of it. I've not been able to play it. Owning a team is the closest I'm gonna to get to it, other than a fan. The Jaguars was really my second attempt. The first one didn't quite turn out. The Rams. The Rams, yeah. After the first unsuccessful experience, I said, you know, I'm gonna get up, dust myself off, and get ready for the next opportunity. I would hear they'll never be able to do it because racial aspect. From 1890, they had not had a non-white owner ever. And we're talking about 2010. To me, I never believed that. And the closer I got to it, it was all garbage. You had to get to know the owners because NFL is a partnership and there's a lot of tradition and you have to respect it. You suddenly became very visible. The NFL <laughs> and that mustache combined <laughs> to give you a national profile. But you're also a trailblazer as the first non-white owner in NFL history. How did that feel? Describe that. It's an honor. It's a privilege. You have to live up to a standard because whether you like it or not, other people are going to be judged by my actions. Beyond that, I think once you digest it, you get over it. You're an American. Yeah. What drew you to the Premier League? My parents, I mean, their promised land was going to England. Oh. If you were part of the British Empire, you were looking for your fame and fortune, you went to England. I had a bunch of relatives. So I'd gotten some exposure on the various clubs. I had been to English football games from 2005 and six because I would be overseas for auto business. Probably have to go through the whole table of places I've been to. I went to a Millwall game which was like I just stumbled into south side of Chicago when they were having a bad day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you were a courageous man. So what was it that made you move from this is fascinating to saying, yeah, full steam ahead, I'm going in? The economics of English football are not very good other than a few special clubs. That's because you have relegation promotion and the franchise value is zero. <laughs> Whereas American professional sports, there is a franchise value because it's a closed league. You have the business side and obviously the sports, and I was looking at it as a business and as a passion. It's also far more anarchical English football. You come from an American sports tradition where there's rev share, where yep. there's salary cap. Yep. English football, much more dog-eat-dog. -dog. Absolutely. You eat what you kill, and it's like the Wild West and you really can't regulate it because of promotion and relegation. It's a very, very different animal, and you gotta be able to understand it. You brought Fulham for approximately $300 million in July 2013. How did you, out of all the clubs, the deal flow that was coming in, the different clubs mm -hmm. that were courting you, you sniffing around different clubs, how did you say, I am for Fulham and Fulham is for me? The values, family, civility, the education, and what it stood for. It's a small club, old, historic, that really hadn't had a lot of success. But it had a great academy, which is critical. From a business viewpoint, some of the development that could be done, which would help bring revenues long-term, support the club. And with NFL, Jaguars, it's something that could be complementary. Complementary in what way? Well, symbiotic, way? you could have some back office that you could share, whether it's ticketing, sponsorships, share of practice facilities. We knew that playing in London was gonna be an annual event for us for a long time. 
hopefully forever. So it could make sense. There's something about Fulham in London where there's just so much savagery and regional hatred and rivalry. Unless you're a Brentford fan or a QPR <laughs> fan, Fulham seem to be almost <laughs> neutral. Everybody's second team. Exactly. Everybody loves Fulham. Why yes. is that? The history being the oldest club in London. There is a vibe, a mojo, a karma about Fulham. The setting, Craven Cottage. An old, musty jewel. It's a glorious time capsule of a stadium opened in 1896. Describe Craven Cottage to me the first time you saw it. Something that has kept the soul, the experience, the smell coming off from the Thames, a good one. The intimacy where not only you can hear every ball kicked, you almost feel the burst of energy from the ball and the players. Some of the sweat from the players, it's flying around, it's close to you. The ecstasy, the pain, it's all right there. It is English football at its purest. All the good values that you subscribe to today, plus history. This should be a civic asset. Really the heartbeat of West London can be Fulham. If you look at the location, right there on the Thames, two parks on each side, historic setting that has not been tampered with for over a hundred years. There's something incredibly intimate about it. It's like a great night game at Fenway. I know you're not a Cubs fan, but Wrigley Field in a good way. <laughs> Old Comiskey. Oh, your club have an incredible American tradition, which is another asset. Fulham were courting America before it was cool. There's just a royal lineage of American soccer players that applied their trade at Fulham. For those of Eddie Lewis, Brian McBride, Carlos Bocanegra, Clint Dempsey, the yeah. great Casey Keller, the mighty of the Tim Reed. Yes, the global football clubs want an American audience. For the third year I was there in the U.S., Fulham was number five when it came to fan base recognition. So you had some of these biggest clubs in the world, including English football, that were way, way distant because American fans associated themselves with Fulham in a good way. The networks you can access as an NFL owner mm -hmm. are amazing. Yep. But speaking to American owners who buy into the Premier League, they all say, the global networks that you access as a Premier League owner are next level. That's absolutely true. I remember we had a Monday night game uh, first year, Premier League uh, at Crystal Palace. There were 140 some countries with a video feed and this is Monday night, Fulham at Crystal Palace had 400 million people watching the game. That visibility is insane. The global megaphone. Absolutely. Yeah. You had a rocky start yeah. to ownership the club in your first season yep. were relegated. Many said it was the curse of the Michael Jackson statue. Well, that's what Al Fayyad said. <laughs> it was Muhammad, okay? <laughs> what, did, what did Shad Khan say? I had really an NFL background in a way, which is the way I would say that you're flying a plane and it starts malfunctioning. NFL, you can land the plane and fix it. English football, you gotta fix it while it's flying, okay? <laughs> so it's much harder. And if you try to land, either you're crashing or you're relegated. The price for failure is much more. Relegation. Yeah. You don't have relegation in American sports. Yeah, it's brutal. As an owner, how do you experience it? I'd gone through failure before in life. Auto parts, okay? You're talking about one-piece bumper, that would revolutionize, yeah. But I had a lot of failures before that. They weren't on the sports page, okay? <laughs> they didn't say, this guy failed again. He had a process, <laughs> didn't work. 
So here, you're failing very publicly. If you go to a normal life, you have success, you have failure. You learn from failure. Here in sports, your failures are absolutely amplified. You know what can happen, and you have to be prepared for it. If you're not, shame on you. So what lesson did you take from it, and how did you process it? I thought the house needed remodeling, and it needs to be torn down. Okay, <laughs> It's not a remodel project, it's a teardown project. You really come to that realization, you have to pick up the pieces and move forward. 2016, full and finished 20th yeah. in the championship, lowest position since 1999. The championship is a brutal fistfight of a competition. The dark arts reign supreme. Fulham, out of nowhere, started to play delicious, front foot, attractive football. Why and how? You're relegated. It's time for a little bit of soul searching. When the remodeling project's gone wrong, your foundation, it's all blown up. <laughs> you say, what do you want to be? What will give us the differentiator? Really, now we have to get into the details. We have to get into the weeds. Parking the bus, that's not what we want to be. We're going to be a possession style. That would be something we can excel at. We looked at it as, as a competitive advantage. And then that we're starting from scratch. Those are the type of players we have to find. And then we have to find a manager who can bring out the best. Enter Slavisha Yakanovic. You'll find this crazy. I had never met him till after we'd hired him. And the other managers, I spent a lot of time talking to in person. I knew about him from Watford. He was at Maccabi in Israel. So I started talking to him on the phone. A, he wanted to come back to England. B, he wanted to win and see how to go about it. Possession-style football, which is winning football, and then also integrate younger players with veterans, which is how we build our academy in. If somebody comes in and says, I only want to buy my players, that's not going to work for us for many reasons. So these are the values you must have, and he personified them. He came in and asked you to do something very interesting. He asked you to invest in improving the quality of the training pitches. We had rain, and there was water sitting there, and he said, no, this is no good. And I said, okay. I told you we were going to get you all the resources. We're going to get the best pitch possible in English football, and we did that. You've got to have tools of the trade. It's tool of the trade. It worked. You are both audacious madmen. To try and play attractive football in the championship is a rarely beaten path. It got you to the championship game. The game was Saturday. We had practice Thursday and Friday. And I went to practice at Mottsburg Park. And Friday, Slav came up to me after practice. We were standing on one of the pitches you were describing. And he said, Jaguars didn't get to the Super Bowl. But tomorrow, you're going to be in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't any hint of doubt. It was supreme confidence on his part and the players' part that we were going to win. But you're the owner, and there's $125 million riding on the outcome. You're in the stands. How would you describe your own mental state? Well, I have never experienced a game like it. It is on a totally different scale. There is money, yes. But you've got to remember there's been five years of hard work that's also been put into it. Please don't misunderstand it. That's a lot of money, but with all due respect, the money wasn't gonna change my life, and God's been very good to me, okay? So I wasn't there for the money, 
but the pride. Fulham had never won at Wembley in their whole history from 1879. And our stadium is 24,000. We have 40,000 fans who show up at Wembley. And at the final whistle, what did you feel? Oh, I can't believe that it's over. This was a journey for us, and boom, we accomplished it. How long did you get to enjoy it, Shah, before you had to work out how you were going to invest in new players to ensure that you stay? A few days. You've got to enjoy this moment. It happens very rarely in life. Never happened to us in sports. Probably the only thing that would be comparable would be this season, the Pittsburgh game, division playoff. That was huge. This was a different level, step above. I have watched you yeah. watch Jacksonville Jaguars yeah. living and dying a hundred deaths. Yeah. Do you watch soccer in the same way? Yeah, I would say even more intense because there are no TV timeouts. The intensity is different, higher. Which stresses you out more, Sure. English football. <laughs> <laughs> this summer, you made an offer to buy Wembley Stadium, the home, the home of English football for a reported $800 million. I mean, to me, it would be like the Queen just saying, you know what, I'm gonna buy Cowboys Stadium. <laughs> it's a bold move. For me, obviously, I have passion for Wembley. Last four times we've been there, we've won, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Last three times with the Jaguars and now with Fulham in the championship game. But what's your vision? What's driving it? Well, is it an NFL move? What's driving is London, for NFL Jaguars, it's very important. It helps us do that. It's a move that really serves everyone. FA really has the rights, the revenues, all of the English games forever, they keep all that. So the magic of Wembley stays that. We supplement that with other events, NFL, other events beyond that. You gotta remember, it's 11-year-old stadium. It's in great shape, but it needs more renovations to really keep up where it needs to go. And FA, it helps them focus on, even though England's had a great run here in this World Cup, kind of reminds me of the Jaguar season. So beyond expectation, but yet so close, you can almost taste it. Your first season back in the Premier League, what's been the single most important thing the club have done this summer to prepare for your return? Taking a hard look at ourselves. What worked last year is not going to work this year. We have a totally different level of competition. We have to look at ourselves inwards and say, are we ready for it? And our goal is not just to survive. Our goal is to thrive. We survived is not good enough. We have the organization to take the next step. What's the most important lesson you've learned in your five years of full of ownership? Devil's in the detail and hard work pays off. And what surprised you the most, Sean? I've gone through a stage in life where you've had failures. Here it's amplified. It's very public. You get defined by that if you let it. Your life is a testament to the American dream. It really is. Does the American dream, does that have any bearing in world football? American dream absolutely does. Power of optimism. I think that is very American, that you're always hopeful. That is a gift which is very, very American. Believing in individual freedom, believing in I can do it, these are super American aspirations. What are you most looking forward to from this season? Growth. Growth in the club, winning football side, and growth on the business side. What is your goal right now, your realistic goal for Fulham? You have a tiered approach, surviving mid-table and then developing the resources, start competing for the top six. We're going to compete with the best and we're gonna win.
What emotion are you feeling? Do you feel excitement? Do you feel fear? Do you no, feel, I don't feel fear. What do no. you do with doubt, Sean? Well, we've been there, okay? <laughs> we've been relegated, we've rebuilt, we've come up. We've wandered in the desert and we found nirvana. So when you have suffered fear and doubt, they're eliminated. Oh, God love Shad Khan. Don't you feel better about life? After listening to that, I know I did. That interview that I did with Shad is part of the film Promoted, Fulham. One of three documentaries that I've made to celebrate the return of this season's newly promoted clubs. You can find it right now on Embassy Sports Gold. The other two teams, Wolves and Cardiff, their promoted films will air in the weeks ahead. So stay tuned to our social for tuning information. In other news, good news for many of you, there's no regular Men in Blazers podcast this next week because of the international break. But we do have a ton of digital content dropping, possibly another pod special, producer J-Dub's willing, and a mighty Raven newsletter going out next Friday to welcome the Premier League's return into our loving arms after the international break with news perhaps of a new Men in Blazers Premier League enhancement kit, which is quite beautiful. Subscribe now at meninblazers.com. And until then, America, courage. Go Bears. <laughs>